0: You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show on 710 KURV. Here's Sergio. Rio
1: Bank. He's the leader out there. Mr. Ford Sasser. Ford, it's a pleasure speaking with you. How are you, sir?
2: Very good, Sergio. Appreciate you having me on today. Yes,
1: sir. I want to give you ample time to explain what... Educate me, and I know if you're educating me, I know you'll do that the same for all the working people out there doing something for a living. There is... You have courageously joined a fight uh, against the federal government. It's a regulatory... I don't know if it's a suggestion or an imposition, so please explain to me this regulatory issue on the part of the federal government, uh, securities and exchange, and how that might threaten operations at banks like yours, regional banks, and Rio Bank, and, and other sure. banks like that. So please please take me to school. Well, sure. Let's go back to the beginning.
2: Let's go from the beginning. Uh, 13 years ago, As a result of the financial crisis of 2008, a uh, Congress passed a bill uh, uh, commonly known as the Dodd-Frank Act. Uh, That that bill was passed uh, by Congress, it was signed by President Obama, uh, and it went into law uh, 13 years ago. Now, there is a section in the Dodd-Frank bill Uh, referred to as section 1071 uh, which is the subject of the litigation that our bank is in with the uh, uh, government Uh, and section 1071 uh, deals with all banks uh, uh, being required to uh, submit data on their customers on their commercial customers to an agency uh, called the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Now, that bureau was also set up as a result of the Dodd-Frank bill. It was a new government agency created. Uh, it was uh, pushed by a, a uh, who is now a current senator, uh, Elizabeth Warren, a senator from Massachusetts. Uh, she's the one that um, um, kind of fostered that through uh, the um, through Congress and made it part of the Dodd-Frank bill so for 13 years uh, that section 1071 has never been implemented Uh, and I think the reason it's never been implemented is because regulators really didn't know exactly how to implement it Uh, the, the intent uh, which is an honorable intent is to obviously uh, gather data on commercial loans and make sure that <clears throat> that there are not any bad actors in the banking industry that are uh, uh, mistreating uh, minority businesses, uh, redlining areas. Has uh, uh, is, is a term that's used sometimes uh, that banks won't loan to certain areas of a community uh, that uh, banks won't loan to certain ethnicities or races. uh, And so it's to gather data uh, to ensure those type things. Now, the reason that uh, uh, we joined with the Texas Bankers Association and filed a lawsuit against the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau Is because the Dodd-Frank bill uh, section 1071 was three pages of law uh, that required us to gather 13 data points on our customers on our business customers okay Uh, the mr. Copra who is the current director of the CFPB Took those three pages of law and turned them into nine, uh, approximately nine hundred pages of regulations, and increased the number of data points that they want all banks across these United States to gather on their commercial customers. They've increased that to eighty-one data points that they want us to uh, gather on our customers. Okay now the perception i'm sure that washington has is that uh, when a person comes to the bank to apply for a loan they uh, uh, fill out a loan application like a consumer fills out a loan application and the reality is is that's not the way uh, commercial lending is done Uh, commercial lending is um, you know uh, typically, a customer will come in, verbally request what they're looking for, uh, and, and the bank will provide them a term sheet outlining uh, what the terms of the loan will be. If it's approved, the customer agrees with the term sheet. Uh, the, the banker then goes through the approval underwriting process uh, within the bank itself. Uh, Once that loan is approved a commitment letter is given to the commercial customer Uh, That commercial customer signs the commitment letter agreeing to the loan and they move to closing There's really not an application And of course the problem that 1071 uh, uh, Creates for banks is again. They're trying to You know determine whether Uh, somebody is being discriminated against in either the terms, the the loan is approved, it's not approved, uh, consistency and inconsistencies, and uh, the reality is, is there are literally millions of different uh, uh, types of commercial loans and ownership structures. Uh, Businesses can be sole proprietors, they can be partnerships, they can be corporations with hundreds of shareholders. Uh, I don't even know, as I've told congressmen that when I've talked to them about this, I said I don't even know how to define uh, cons- uh, minority businesses, uh, particularly here in the Valley where we have, uh, you know, 95% or so. Hispanics, Which, yeah, and no. we do business. Hispanics and Anglos are doing business with each other. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, if um, I told them I have a, the chairman of my board here at the bank is a pharmacist here in town, Danny Bella, who many people know. Danny and I have been good friends and business partners outside the bank for many years. We've gone to banks and borrowed money to buy properties and different things. Well, are we a minority business because his name is Vela? Are we not a minority business because my name is Sasser? I, I, I don't really.
1: No, and we're you know, we uh, are uh, societally speaking, just looking at the state of Texas, we are on the verge. We're at the precipice of, of tilting the scales where Latinos will, will be the majority in the state of Texas. Well, the, then that what well, does that put Texas sure. in a different category, and then everybody else, including, you know, formerly referred to as whites are they the minority now it's like this is my goodness these are like social issues that are being infused into this cfpb this consumer financial protection bureau did you say like 900 pages of a potential new regulation of, now, of, I,
2: of regulation yeah. yeah i thought and, this was deemed unconstitutional
1: uh, sometime back or, or was it the funding arm for this cfpb thing that never got off the ground
2: well, here's here's uh, the litigation that's also going on out there. Um uh, the when the CFPB was organized or, or created, uh, Elizabeth Warren was successful in making it not accountable to Congress. Of course. And it's not accountable to Congress because I believe it's roughly 12% of the uh revenues of the Federal Reserve go to fund the CFPB. So the CFPB is run by a director. It is not does not have a board. So basically that director is a dictatorship uh, because uh Mr. Copra is not accountable to Congress because Congress does not appropriate funds to the agency and so it is uh not accountable to anybody. Wow. and uh, and so uh, they have been sued uh, uh, by some other people uh, uh, to determine whether it's even constitutional to have a government agency okay. that is uh, right. not funded by by Congress uh, that's a very unique uh, situation but it was designed so that Congress, couldn't provide any oversight for the agency. My goodness! Uh, and the director uh, isn't even accountable to a board because he answers to nobody.
1: It is. Uh, uh, it is it's uh, a little
2: scary that yeah. something like that even goes on in our country. Well, but but um, it's out there, and so uh, that that's been appealed. Now, uh, there are a lower appeals court found that yes, it is unconstitutional and uh, the supreme court is now scheduled to hear that but they they won't render a decision on that for a little over a year it'll be s- next summer um, after this one before we it ever is, um, get a ruling
1: from the court best way I can describe it, it is literally an avalanche of new regulations hundreds and hundreds yeah. of new regulations to banking in our country yes sir, yes, sir. go ahead
2: Sergio, let me tell you this, you know, as, as bankers, and I speak for all bankers, my competitors included, uh, you know, we, we, uh, are very careful with confidentiality of our customers and who we're dealing with and, uh, and the privacy issues surrounding, uh, the financial situations of our, of our customers and uh and we've always been told by washington to not profile your customers what 1071 does is it makes us gather this data it tells us to start profiling our customers uh and and it wants us to submit that information to the cfpb on an annual basis and that all of that data will be made public now it might not give uh, that data won't necessarily give Names of a customer, but as I was uh, uh, explaining this to uh, somebody the other day, uh, if you're in Falfurrias and you uh, uh, and that data is uh, submitted by the bank in FAL uh, about a feed store that got a half a million dollar loan. Well, if there's only one feed store in town, everybody Hello. knows who, <laughs> who got that, you know, and yeah. uh, so it's not very confidential, yeah. and here's the other thing that's kind of embarrassing to me as a banker. One of the questions that I'm going to have to ask you is, are you an LGBTQ XYZ? I don't even know what all those initials stand for, but... To ask my customers if they are homosexual or not because the government wants to know that information about you, I, I just find it's that damn repulsive. Business.
1: It's another damn business.
2: I, I find that very, I mean, and my that's, customers are going to find that yeah, repulsive. And, and, uh, and uh, you know, this is something that is going to have my loan officers tied up. Filling out eighty-one data points instead of making more loans to our local uh, Yeah, man, community. you talk about throwing yeah, a so. yeah,
1: talk throwing a, a wrench into the machinery. My goodness! So your lawsuit—you joined this lawsuit from the Bankers' Association here in Texas. Your lawsuit is to stop this, right? To, to arrest this, or what's the, what's the new, well, the the new lawsuit? A,
2: yeah, here's a, here, in, in our pleadings. Uh, the main thing that we said is that uh, the CFPB has exceeded the authority given to it by Congress. Congress gave you three pages of law. We think turning that into 900 pages of regulations is unreasonable. Uh, Congress gave you 13 data points, and you have expanded that into 81 data points that you wanted us to gather. We think that far exceeds uh, the intent of what Congress uh, authorized in uh, in the Dodd-Frank bill uh, 13 years ago. And so, uh, I mean, it's law. I can't do away with 1071, uh, but we think that we can uh, uh, scale it back to make it something that's maybe more manageable for banks uh, and less intrusive for our customers um you know the whole bill is not for the benefit of banks it's for the benefit of bank customers and if you're a a person that's in business that tries you know that uses banks to help you be successful in business, this bill uh, is something that uh, you should be very concerned about so that's the the thrust of our of our lawsuit uh, We think that if the other lawsuit prevails in the supreme court and the cfpb is deemed to be unconstitutional then uh, any anything that it came out with could also be ruled null and void hope so, so. Hope hopefully so. uh at the very least we will be buying some time uh and the best case scenario is uh, these uh, uh, this data collection is going to be scaled way back to where it's less intrusive on our customers. All right,
1: thank you, Ford, for all your time, and I guess we'll get sure. jet, another chance to talk about this in near future. I hope
2: this okay. is I hope this has been helpful. Um, I'm you know it's, I'm trying to educate as many people as I can about 1071. The business community is getting ready to get punched in the nose, and they don't even see the fist coming at them. So. Hopefully, um, this has been helpful to people.
1: Thank you. We're going to post this on our 710 KURV or KURV.com SoundCloud section. You guys in business or in banking, you need to listen. Um, again, Fort Sasser from Rio Bank. Thank you, for it, and call anytime, brother. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you, Sergio. Right. From Rio Bank. That's uh, President Sergio uh, CEO Fort Sasser. This is The Sergio Show.
0: You're listening to the best of The Sergio Show. Here's Sergio.
1: Michael Falkander is my guest. He worked at the U.S. Treasury at one time. He is with America First Policy Institute. He's the chief economist. So I hear that House Democrats, they're in the slight minority these days, so they've got this secret plan to try to force a vote on the debt limit issue. Okay, Mike, so take me to school. What do you know? How do they plan to
4: force that vote? So the way that they want to do this to bypass House leadership is to bring up what's called a discharge petition. So a petition. if they can cobble together 218 votes, they can force onto the floor their version of a debt ceiling. And so... The thought is is that if they extend things long enough and we get close enough to the date that Secretary Yellen has said we would start to run out of money, that there will be a couple of squeamish, moderate House Republicans uh-huh. who would <laughs> join in and vote for a clean debt ceiling. Yeah. And so it, it's it's a lengthy process to make this happen. And so they have now started officially started that process okay. so that they can try to last minute force a vote on just a clean debt ceiling. So
1: they've released the hounds, they've released the whips out there, they're making phone calls and, and trying to get a vote and trying to figure out if they can find some noodle spine Republicans California, New York, or where else might they find some of these noodle-spined Republicans to join and create that potential 218 number, that, that trigger, and pull it if necessary before June. What do you think?
4: Well because you know the, the bill that the House passed that raised the debt ceiling it was just Republicans that passed it is a necessary step towards getting ourselves into fiscal balance. But this is an enormous threat to the underlying mission of the Democrats. They are committed to keeping government spending at the levels that we had during the pandemic. You know, one always needs to be reminded of the immortal words of Rahm Emanuel when he was Obama's chief of staff that we never let a crisis go to waste. Mm -hmm. And so they were able to enormously expand government during the pandemic when the Biden administration came into office, the objective was anywhere and everywhere, it was convenient to, to continue to dec- declare that the nation was suffering from a pandemic. It was the excuse to forgive a bunch of student loans that shouldn't be forgiven. It was the excuse to keep a bunch of people on Medicaid who should be out working instead and getting health insurance through their employers. And so they they have used this to greatly enhance the amount of spending. And of course that's created an incredible amount of inflation for the American people. American households have had to tighten their belt. The American people are saying it's time for government to do the same, but that's so such a shock to the Democratic Party that's become essentially a set of government constituents, and their objective is to do anything in every possible way to keep the status quo going. No, and so yeah. Though,
1: uh, understood. Fall, yeah, so, and, and yeah. in all fairness, uh, Mike. Uh, many Republicans as well. They, they've been up there way too long, and they've got their own constituency. And we need new talent. You talk about you know, what Donald Trump was referring to. and em, Got to empty the swamp. We need some fresh ideas. We need new talent up there. We need some folks that know how to keep businesses in the black and get some CPAs up there. Michael Falkender is chief economist with America First Policy. So, you know, all of a sudden... This deadline was moved up to June, potentially June first. So, what happened? Why is it that you know these people they thought they had maybe they could go on summer vacation. All of a sudden, they're, they're thinking we got to work really hard this month of May and make sure we don't we don't you know of of we can avoid not paying bills by June first. So, what happened, Mike?
4: Sure. So, you know, I, I have enormous faith in the career staff at Treasury. I was uh, chief economist at Treasury during the Trump administration. They're a strong set of of. Americans who, who serve our nation as, as career members of the treasury staff. And you know what happened is that we had um, a down economy largely last year. It was slow growth, right? Two of the quarters last year were slow with the stock market lost a lot of money. And so as a result, the tax revenue that came in on April 15th fell below expectation. And so since there's a lot less tax money that came in as a result of a slowing economy in a down stock market, and meanwhile, you've got all this inflation, which means that spending by the government has increased, the combination of those things means yeah. that they're going to eat through the money that's essentially in the government's checking account even faster. And so that's why the date got moved forward.
1: 10-4. If some of the unspent COVID money, which I have no idea pre- precisely and surgically, it would be cut out and brought back because man you got a lot of municipalities you got a lot of states and other government entities that have all the surplus cash and and fattened budgets as a result of the extra covid money that was sent out and would need to be brought back to the treasury if if the republicans if if Kevin McCarthy and republicans were to be successful in convincing the Biden administration and democrat senators to bring some of that back and put it into into the coffers, or erase that, what is really insen- essentially just debt, really. It's, but I guess it's dollars that would be brought back. Would that help to lower inf- inflation faster, Mike?
4: It would. And the reason for that is because all of that government spending out there puts even more pressure on the limited resources that we have, right? So you've already got households that have money from the money that was spent, sent out to households during the pandemic, you know, we've got a pretty low unemployment rate, and so there is private sector money that's already wanting to consume the output that our nation generates. But then, if you've got the government throwing lots more money into that economy, and as we, you know, as Larry Kudlow likes to talk about regularly, if you don't have the supply side as robust as there is money out there chasing all those goods and services, you get inflation. And so that's why an important thing that Speaker McCarthy's bill does is it also unleashes American energy. It takes the shackles that the Biden administration has placed on American oil and gas so that we can increase production and therefore provide a supply-side answer to the inflation that we've been incurring. So, you know, the Democrats can proclaim that they passed something called the Inflation Reduction Act, The true Inflation Reduction Act is the bill that the Congress, that the House passed last week, that reduces federal spending, simultaneously unleashes American energy. Those are the things that you need if you want to curtail inflation.
1: I've got less than 45 seconds. Where's your money, Mike? Michael Falkender, with America First Policy Institute, chief economist, and was the chief over at the Treasury under Trump. Where's your money in this game of chicken that we're playing? I think think Kevin McCarthy is going to blink. He's out number two to
4: one. Not at all. I think that what the House has done is empowered. At the end of the day, this is going to be the negotiation between Leader McConnell and Leader Schumer. Uh, Biden will sign whatever comes out of the Senate. Okay. And the fact that the only bill in town is the one that passed the House means that there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, power behind the Republican position because the American people are with them.
1: Well, there you go. Well, the clock is ticking. Here it comes, June 1st. Thank you, Mike. It's a pleasure meeting you. And we'll call you again. He's with America to First with Policy Institute, Chief Economist Michael Falkander. This is The Sergio Show.
0: Your day with news and interviews important to you with the Valley's Morning News weekday morning starting at six. Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan bring you the latest headlines and hourly discussions with AccuWeather to get you ready for your day and special guest interviews on topics that affect you and your family. Good
5: morning, good morning, good morning gentlemen. Good, good morning, guys. For what's enjoy
0: the show. It's what you need to start your day. The Valley's Morning News with Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan weekday morning starting at six on News Talk seven ten KURV. You're listening to the best of The Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. He's in Brownsville. He has unofficially become our
1: beat reporter for Brownsville. <laughs> for <K-R- laughs> he's, for, he's with Fox News. I lovingly refer to him as the Grifter. Griff Jenkins. Hey. Griff Jenkins actually doing some journalism. Nobody, else, The Dinosaur Networks, where are they? I don't see them. Uh, fake News, I CNN. Don't see C- I don't see CNN either. Thank you for doing Yeoman's work, you and Malugin and all the other dudes from Fox. Because, man, we got a massive story in Brownsville. Where are you specifically right now? Griff Jenkins from Foxes. Where are you,
6: brother? Hey, Sergio. Good morning, and thank you for the kind words, man. I'm glad to be a part of the kurv team and uh and, and you know somebody's got to come down here yeah. and do it and i'm surprised the other networks aren't and yeah. you know we are actually literally right at camp monument in brownsville mm. which you know for locals will remember that old fort brown golf course right just uh, sort of e- east i guess of the uh, port of entry there and that's where the migrants are streaming across and you know, Sergio, th- there's such an important point for, for our listeners that have lived their lives around the border. You know, we've never seen these kind of numbers, but we've also never seen the sort of response that we're seeing from Border Patrol and CBP. And, you know, if you go back to September of 2021 with 20,000 Haitians under the bridge, they learned from that lesson. And so what I'm standing looking at, literally with my eyes just uh, feet away from me, is a gigantic tent. Tons of the white Border Patrol CBP buses. I got, let's see, what do you guys think? About uh, 50 to 100 migrants literally actively at the moment walking up the levee. They've just come across the river from Matamoros. And the Border Patrol will, will screen them, process them, and transport them out. And so right now, they're doing a really good job dealing with a massive increase in numbers. In fact, the sources just told me... Uh, about an hour ago, that in just this area, in just in Camp Monument, we're seeing uh, 2,400 um, migrants, mostly about 90%, Sergio, are Venezuelan coming okay. here. So, wow. you know, what happens when Title 42 lifts? I don't know, man. But one thing is for sure, uh, the, the storm, the calm before the storm, is anything but calm already.
1: Griff... <laughs> Refresh my memory, isn't Venezuela one of those countries that the Biden administration did a deal with the devil, the the leftist, quasi-communist leadership in Venezuela, to return folks to Venezuela that came here, crossed illegally? Wasn't that one of those countries uh, they made some special deal with?
6: <coughs> well, that's exactly right. Yeah, you put your finger on it. So what happened back in October of last year is the Biden administration cut a deal with Mexico to to return up to 30,000 migrants uh, a month that illegally cross into the U.S. from not only Venezuela, but also Nicaragua, Haiti, and Cuba. Yeah. Because those four countries are countries that we have no repatriation agreement. So we can't put them on a plane. If you came from Honduras, we could put you on a plane and deport you straight back to San Pedro Sula, the capital, or wherever you came from. Yeah. But with those countries, we can't. The problem is with you know 2000 a day coming every single day from venezuela we can hit that 30,000 return number uh, in a week's time and so it's really not doing anything and you know the message coming from these venezuelans and, and you know i always sort of caveat this sergio with the fact that you know these are real human beings just a few days ago i had a man from venezuela said he crossed two jungles and spent two months traveling and he broke down in tears thanking god that he was able to make it to this country. There's a real human uh, component here. But at the same time, until the U.S. decides they have sovereignty laws that they are willing to actually enforce, not just surging the resources, but actually enforce laws, then there's no indication this is going to slow down. Add to that Title 42 list, that's the message that was sent south, that now is the time for them to come. And so I actually have a source, by the way, And I'm just going to add one more thing and shut up here. But my source is a producer I've worked with for many, many years. She's down in Tapachula, uh, which is right on the southern border between Mexico and Guatemala. She said that yesterday the government issued over 15,000 FMM 45-day visas. Now, those allow migrants to cross from Guatemala directly into Mexico, get a 45-day pass to travel and work in Mexico, which allows them to basically buy time yeah. to get to our border. Oh, and so Mexico right. continues to be this transit country.
1: You said 15K in one day,
6: brother? 15K in one day. And I've talked to you reporting from Tapachula yes. in the past years wow. when there was 1,000 a day, 15,000. They're simply allowing them to move. Straight up, you may have yeah. seen on Fox our exclusive footage. We went over into Morris INN isn't slowing this down. And so, you know, really, honestly, these agreements administration's cutting perhaps help. Uh, and, you know, the data yeah. tells in the pictures, tell a different story Riff, that they're not slowing the overall problem.
1: I got to ask you, brother, in this camp that's been set up there at Brownsville uh, near the old Fort Brown uh, facility, um, Do you know if that tent is housing some of those flat-screen televisions that Chief Raul Ortiz told us a few days back? He was in the studio two weeks back telling us that the Rio Grande Valley was going to be tip of the spear, the first area of the nation that would be implement under Title VIII, this new enforcement. Nobody would be released. Everybody would be detained. Initial request for asylum would go in these individuals would go get in line and speak with somebody on the television on a magistrate capacity and make a decision up or down you stay or you go and then have the the planes all warmed up ready to head out of town do you know if they've set up that type of experiment that type of service at the at that tent in Brownsville where people are getting an initial asylum uh, hearing with somebody somewhere out there through um, through video screen excellent
6: excellent excellent question answer is i don't know because we from where we're reporting we're just on the outskirts we haven't been allowed to go inside camp monument and in fairness we have slowly watched over the week i've been here sergio just truck after truck of you know brownsville electricians and other stuff other than just border patrol and and migrant buses going in they've stood up power they've stood up all sorts of of uh infrastructure here so maybe they're moving to that way i don't know okay. whether it exists now but but i would say i don't think uh it is the case just yet okay. because i i've watched all these migrants that keep coming get bussed out
1: okay so they get in there and go out quick by the way for listeners KURV.com KURV.com Our SoundCloud section At the very top Go back and listen To our interview With Chief Rebel Ortiz He detailed and explained Best he could How that new program Was going to kick in Post Title 42 And kicking the Title 8 And this In theory How this thing Was supposed to work KURV.com Check out the SoundCloud section Be careful Griff Be safe we'll Call hey, you sir, again do. Thank you brother Yes sir
6: Thanks. Uh, just a quick. if we have two seconds, I'm going to talk to Ortiz hopefully today. What yeah. should I ask him?
1: Ask him about that. Where is that program? Has it been implemented already? Are they test-firing it in Brownsville or Laredo or El Paso? I'd love to know what's going on with that program. Post-Title 42, Title 8, how's it going to work? Have him, have him detail that for you.
6: Done. Will do, sir.
1: Thanks, bud. Griff Jenkins for Fox News. This is The Sergio Show. Education expert, Dr. Rebecca Good. I welcome her back to the program. There was a report a few days back. Gallup did a survey showing that folks going to college, young people going to college, and, and I'm wondering how many of this is decision-making on their own or maybe by their parents as well, but they don't want to go to states. If they're super lefties, they don't want to go to places like Texas or Florida because of decisions made by government. If they're conservative, well, the opposite is true. They're going to keep their kids in Texas or Florida and not go to the left coast and California, Washington State, places like that. It's, it's politics now driving decisions as to where their college kids will be going. I think, Dr. Good, that it, it almost doesn't matter because the intelligentsia, the very left of center point of view at many universities, it dominates whether it's in Texas, Florida or California. What do you think?
3: No, you're right about that. We, as parents, I've got something else to add to the parent watch list, right? Yeah. Now we, we need to make sure that we actually visit colleges now. A lot of times we would let our kids pick the college based on, oh, gosh, the major that they wanted, but now not anymore. Now we need to visit the campus, maybe go to the student center, talk to some kids already there, what their college experience has been. How are the professors, you know? Um, how, how blatant is their... Left leaning as we've all seen that, haven't we that professors have agendas these days that um, that maybe are a little different than what we want for yeah. our kids so it's just another responsibility to add to the parent list of you know having the conversations with our kids around what college they want to go to and you know what's happening at that college that's outside of the instructional curriculum
1: as some There might be some parents tuning in, working for a living, trying to save up for that college tuition, wherever the kids want to go, up northeast or maybe the left coast. But there are some chat rooms, people. Or maybe they're thinking of sending their kids to Texas because they think it's going to be more conservative. Not so much. But there are some uh, professor rating, rate professor uh, sites and chat rooms. You're going to have to do your homework and find them to see how in liberal arts departments, not only... How left center some individuals might be, but how militant they might be and unforgiving in their conservative point of view. Because knowing my audience, uh, you need to find those and to see how all these professors rate. Because man, once you write that money, they they're not going to give you a refund to whatever university you're sending kids to. So it's that's one of those things you have to do research before you send your kids out, or maybe consider more ex- the more expensive route, right, and send them to more traditional religious, or Christian colleges, do you think that would be a a good idea?
3: Well, I think the important part is that it, again, and you've heard me say this, it increases the conversation between the the child and the parent. We have to have that conversation always going on, right? But now we have another reason to chat with our kids around their college choices. and, And maybe put out there that you would like to know as a parent why they're choosing that and have they totally investigated the the politics around that university so that both the parent and the child, you know, have that conversation and, and the child is aware, maybe for the first time, that politics is intruding everywhere. Yep. I mean, I, I would like to think that it's leading to a more informed voter earlier on because I know when I was a senior in high school, politics did not enter my world at all. <laughs> and so um, wow. it's, it's interesting that it's happening so early in their life, and it'll be interesting to see how, how plays these out. young people turn out.
1: Yeah, 10 and I hear Dr. Rebecca Good, education expert, joining me from North Texas. Um, even, like, in my household, I got got a kiddo, just uh, less than a handful years away from going to a university and I have personally I have discounted northeast and west coast as as good as its grades are I'm I'm not going to be paying out of my pocket my wife's pocket I'm not going to be paying northeastern universities or California universities for anything my money stays in Texas we've decided on that because
3: Oh, yes. I think, yes, I told my kids, right? unless you get a full ride, you know, you're staying in Texas. There are too many good schools.
1: There. 10-4, 10-4. Because uh, I think it hurts us on the economic development side. I, I think that, and it's part of the brain drain, sending Texas talent out of state. I see, I see no reason. From Texas yeah, no. A&M to UT, Tech, U of H, up in Dallas, North Texas, there's way too many high-quality universities and you already have issues as as far as cultural war issues on those campuses to begin with, but I see no reason to be subsidizing the salaries of tenured leftist communists up northeast and the west coast and to the point where believe me, next year I'm going to argue big time at the Parents Association, at the local charter school that he belongs to, because they've had for the longest time they've been organizing these trips up northeast to Boston University or Visit the West Coast and some of the California universities. Like, why? Why are we wasting these campus visits for our children for universities that we should really, as Texans, we should not be, in my opinion, should not be investing any money. They they want to go privately; they should do so. But we should invest. We should prioritize A and M and UT and SMU and all the Texas universities. You want to do it? You want to go up Northeast or Left Coast? That's on your own. But that that's just brain drain and a money drain out of state that's needless in in, in my opinion.
3: No, I, I agree with you. I, like I said, I have told my own kids that they unless they had full right yep. scholarship out of state, they were staying in
1: here. Stand for it. Good to talk to you again, Doctor Good. Appreciate your time.
3: Thank you, sir. Education
1: expert, Doctor Rebecca Good. This is the Sergio Show.
0: You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's
1: Sergio. From Johns Hopkins University research saying that artificial intelligence AI might predict if and when you have a heart attack. Alpernia is with a group called EverHealth. It's described as a database, a pool ecosystem, doctors, physicians. You can learn more on innovations, like AI innovations in medicine. He's an AI and healthcare expert. AI and healthcare expert. Al Purnia. I appreciate your time, Al. I think we need to start because I know I have some physicians and some physician assistants tuning in right now, driving around town. EverHealth. Describe a bit better what what I just poorly did. What do you do at Ever Health? Because I think this is information that everybody out there in healthcare they need to know.
5: Yeah, um, Sergio, we have a network of functional medicine practitioners who use one or more of our programs. We also introduce them to what we call the Health One Hundred uh, Collective, hundred companies that we believe are changing healthcare uh, specifically around prevention and wellness. Most of these practitioners are um, trying to help um, address uh, issues before they become dis- disease conditions. They're looking at imbalances and trying to correct these imbalances uh, before they become uh, serious. Uh, so that's the network that is made up of Endeavor Health uh, network of practitioners in our community.
1: Is it exclusive to A specific market or is this a service nationwide and this is information that doctors everywhere could you know they could plug into plug into
5: yeah it's it's available nationwide Um, we reach out to practitioners that we feel uh, would be a good fit who have more of an interest to become proactive with their patients instead of reactive that's our healthcare system right now it's being reactive to managing disease, whereas these practitioners are trying to be proactive by preventing disease.
1: I often joke that artificial intelligence, AI, will kill us all, but today we're talking about AI perhaps saving many of us. AI helping us find out before we have a heart attack. Can you explain that Johns Hopkins University research taking place?
5: Yeah, they've uh, been able to uh, come up with a technology uh, that's built on raw images of a patient's diseased hearts and the patient's background. They use neural networks to build a personalized survival assessment for each patient with heart disease. Uh, it stands to revolutionize clinical decision-making and increase survival from sudden and lethal cardiac arrhythmias, One of the medicines that have the most puzzling conditions. Um, so it, it's a fantastic uh, new development using AI.
1: I would imagine that with the images, of course, viewed by AI and with the comparisons. Plus, get some blood work, right? Check out what proteins are coursing through your veins. Man, you could get a real specific report as far as the risk, maybe even imaging, right? Like MRI imaging of all those um, arteries, veins, everything near your heart. You could probably get a really good assessment of your risk level.
5: Oh yeah, I mean the team um, used uh, this uh, contrast-enhanced cardiac images that visualize scar distribution from hundreds of real patients with cardiac scarring to train an algorithm to detect patterns in relation not visible to the naked eye. And that's the that's the amazing ability of AI is to be able to see and evaluate and come to conclusions that um, you know humans just can't uh, have the ability to do.
1: Sure. So. In, in medicine, healthcare, like what else do you think AI might be able to help us with?
5: Well, I think the most valuable aspect of AI goes back to, again, trying to prevent disease instead of trying to manage it. Um, AI can be such a powerful tool to help people on their day-to-day lives. Uh, giving them a heads up if uh, there's some issues uh, developing, um, especially with uh, imbalances that can lead to uh, diabetes and elevated blood sugar or blood pressure, um, elevated cholesterol. Our lifestyle has a huge component to why we're getting diseased and why we have imbalances in our health. And AI can have a huge impact and being able to help us on a day-to-day basis to make better lifestyle choices.
1: Now, we've had supercomputers for a long time now, like generation. We've had supercomputers. And I know somewhere out there, they probably, they likely spun some genetic sequence or some experiment to try to find a solution or a cure for, for cancer, as an example. Now, I don't know, maybe I'm asking the wrong person, but artificial intelligence, AI, you know, how's, How's it different from those, you know, super computer experiments that they tried in the past to try to find solutions for medical ailments? Do you think AI could find, could find a cure for, for big, diseases, big diseases, different types of cancers, things like that?
5: I think it's very possible. I mean, it's, it's not happening today, but uh, the power of AI as, as the systems evolve is is going to get to a point where these things are possible in the future i don't think we're there yet it's complicated there there it's not a simple answer each disease has its own um complications and uh the systems will ultimately i believe get there but it's not there right now
1: all right it's Mm -hmm. a pleasure al thank you best of luck to you from ever health alpernia thank you al
5: thank you take care bye-bye thank
1: you this is the sergio show